It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fence side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and on Spotify. Check out our merch store, onthefinside.threadless.com. The Dolphins are now mathematically eliminated from the playoffs following a 17-7 loss to the Jaguars in an ugly, ugly game. In fairness, they could have still won this game 41 to nothing and still been eliminated because basically every other team won and the Dolphins lost. You've seen it yourself on the weekend. So the Dolphins come out on the opening drive, march right down the field, six plays, 78 yards, go up 7 nothing. So I thought, even though this game may not matter, could have some fun here today if the Dolphins can have a big home win at the end of the year, even even though it doesn't mean a whole lot. So after that, six plays, 78 yards. The rest of the game, the Dolphins have just 105 yards on offense. Don't score another point. And to cap it off, Ryan Tannehill throws a pick six that ends up being the dagger in the heart of the Miami Dolphins season, at least at that time. And they are now eliminated from the playoffs. So to me, Paul, I'll be frank with you. This was the swan song for me with Adam Gaze and Ryan Tannehill. I, I don't think I can justify in any way even if they beat the bills 40 to nothing next week i don't think i want either of those those guys back next year and i think a lot of the dolphins community feels the same way where do you stand on that who do you want back who do you want gone uh for gase it'd be a hard sell for me at this point to have him back uh completely it's very much there are too many mistakes and too many blind spots to those mistakes. The fact that, you know, you've got Burke out there saying, obviously I'm putting out sound schemes. Obviously our scheme works. Obviously yada, yada, yada. And obviously you're high as a kite. If you think that, I mean, it's, you know, the proof is in the pudding as far as the, the defense goes this year, despite a lot of injuries, there is too much talent on that side of the ball. I mean, while there may be holes, there is too much talent on that side of the ball for what Miami gave up this season on defense. I don't think it's a heart issue with a lot of these players. We've seen them perform. I don't think they suddenly went, I don't like playing anymore. As a whole, I don't think that was it. I, I just, I really think the scheme is and has been broken. We've been pointing at it for a while. We've been pointing at it through a couple defensive coordinators now. And and really, Matt Burke needs to go. Adam Gase can't get out of his own way. Can't see the issues he needs to correct when he, he keeps saying, oh, we're going to take a look at the film and correct what needs to be corrected on Wednesday. And, you know, the big glaring need to be corrected is it's like when Miami does something that works, and I know I've pointed that out several times this season, when they do something that works or if a player is explosive, it's almost like a recipe for the play to get canned or for the player to get yanked off the field, not to be hurt again for, from again for two weeks. It's almost like you get punished for playing well with the, with this offense. And that, and that's, that's just not a good place to be in today's NFL. I mean, if you've got explosive players, like I know they're on IR right now, but Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson, you should have been using the hell out of those guys. You've got an explosive player like Kenyon Drake, who seems to score every few times he touches the ball and you're using him completely sparingly. Obviously, Kalen Bellage was ready to play a lot sooner than, than Gase thought he was. 
as long as it's not a pass blocking play. So it's, you know, and there's so many of those scenarios. The fact that Jake Brendel was on the bench and, and, and deactivated before he went on IR again for Ted Larson. The fact that Ted Larson was active on game days. I mean, you know, you look at, and I get that there were injuries, but there are so many bad decisions that were blatantly obvious from this coaching staff. And, and I'm tired of it. I'm completely tired of it. Now, what I want is not a, a coach that wants to come in and reshape the whole roster. That's not a good coach to me. Our longtime listeners have heard me say this before, and I, and I apologize, Kat, I'm on a little bit of a soapbox right now. I'll be off in a minute. But as far as the coaches go, if you brought a Bill Belichick in here, he wouldn't remake the entire roster. He'd take most of the pieces of this roster and use them to craft a winning formula with the skill sets the players have. I don't care if it's a name coach. I don't care who it is. The first question I'm in an interview after, after canning Gase, because you need to can him before you start your coaching search. I hope Stephen Ross learned that with the Tony Sperano era. But your first question to them is, how do you win with this roster today? And what else would you need to add to this roster to, to complete the formula? That should be the, the question to any coach that sits down. And if he comes in and says, I want to reshape the entire roster on defense and on offense, I'm sorry, I'm not in the mood for a five-year rebuild. He's got to go. You know, he's not the guy for you. Now, if you get a good answer to that, then the interview should continue from there. As far as Tannehill goes, this is not the swan song. It's even if you're going to draft and groom a quarterback, you need somebody in place to keep the reins, even if it's halfway for, for half a season or whatever it is until that quarterback is ready to go. You make sure you get your quarterback before you, you, you can him. And the dead money that you'd get from Canning can Tannehill isn't huge, but you add to that with another mid-tier quarterback, and you might as well just keep Tannehill at that point. And, and, but you do need to draft for the future here. You need to see what you've got in sales. You need to see what you've got in Luke Falk when he's healthy next year. You need to see if you need to chase a Justin Herbert you know, in, in the draft. But it's Tannehill will be here at least another year, even if it's just – while they're grooming his replacement, because that's a thing that you, that really needs to happen rather than trotting out a Brock Osweiler or something like that. You know, Tannehill can get you some wins. I mean, he's, I think, 12-5 and five or 12-6 and six in his last little over a season worth of games that he's played. He's serviceable. And you get a, a coach in that can run a good scheme for him that actually puts him in a place to be successful. He might even surprise that's still yet to be seen because we haven't had that throughout his entire career we've had horrible coaching and i'm off the soapbox now back to you cat um well i okay uh so, <laughs> well I, I i guess that's a wrap here i mean uh pretty much gone through the entire show now uh so let's 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 take take it piece by piece here uh so first of all let me say this i am d-o-n-e done with ryan Tannehill. i don't care who plays the quarterback position next year as long as it is not him? You need to cut Tannehill first, preferably after June 1st when you can bring $18 million back. I don't see where anywhere else that we can go with him. He was 15 for 22 for 147 yards in this game. It's not all his fault, but he never makes anything better. He's a tough guy. He's a great person. He's got a great arm. He has great size, but he just doesn't feel the game. And 
Yes, the pass protection has been bad the last two games, but it seems like there are 20 other quarterbacks in the league when I turn them on, that have a sense of where pass rush is coming from, have an, an awareness of anything. I mean, in this Jaguars game, finally Tannehill goes for a first down and then gets a delay a game in the next play. I mean, just bonehead play after bonehead play. At I am finally at the point where I just want him gone and I want somebody else in. Whatever is the best price for a Joe Flacco, for a Teddy Bridgewater, for a Nick Foles, I'm willing to pay that uh, as long as it ends up being less than that $18 million you would give to Ryan Tannehill. I think you need a new veteran in the quarterback room, and I think you need to draft a quarterback in the first two rounds when that opportunity pre- presents itself. The biggest stat with Ryan Tannehill in here, in the last eight games, 16 for 72 on third down, which is 22.2% on third down. For every third down, you're, you're, for every five third downs, you're getting a little better than one each time. That is absolutely unacceptable. Can't do it anymore with Ryan Tano. In this game, yeah, pressured a lot, but he can't feel the pressure. And then even when it's a game where you're thinking, okay, the Dolphins are going to pull this one out 14 to 10, he throws a pick six. And this is the, what, third pick six in the last six games for Tannehill? So, no, I, I can't do it anymore. And overall in this grade, I give him a D. Yeah, I, I'll throw a D his way as well. I mean, this wasn't his, his shiniest game. And for me, it's, it's, if, if I threw an emotional response out there, I'd say I'm done with him after this game. But as far as, as really just the taking a step back, taking a breath, to me, unless maybe Bridgewater, I'm okay with Tannehill holding the reins next year while you groom somebody else and while you get a coach in that can make a decision on him. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's a crazy opinion that you have. I'm glad we have a difference of opinion on that because it's going to mm-hmm. be a much more interesting offseason because on paper, yeah, I think you can make the point Tannehill is as good or better than Joe Flacco. Personally, I don't think he is at this point. And oh, I, I, what, I think what, that what, the money's going to be similar I, too. One other jump in before we get to running backs, too, is that delay a game penalty. I put some of that on the officiating. The fact that they were having a grounds crew timeout, and then suddenly it's, oh, yeah, boom. Nope. Delay a game. Wait, what? <laughs> you, you had the grounds crew on the field, and now it's a delay a game? What the hell? You know, so that one I I, I can't totally. Yeah. I, I, I probably have to go back and rewatch that one because all I know is that I was – watching that game and it was a delayed game. So if that was on the officials, that's just another one of about five things that was the, the only game. thing I'd, I'd put on Tannehill with it is his knee brace took that divot out of the field. So, you know, uh, in that way, I guess it's a little on him, but that, that one was on the officials. It, it's, it was one of those goofy ones where they call their timeout. And before anybody realizes it, they're throwing a delay a game out as you're, as you're getting up to the line going, wait, what just happened? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, and I'll tell you, it, to go back to the quarterback spot, too, is that with Tannehill, and, and the bigger thing is that I, I don't – if the Dolphins start over, and I hope that they do, and we're going to see some big changes, I don't want it, one of these start overs where you keep the quarterback, you fire the GM, you keep the coach, you fire the director of scouting. So basically – you, you split the organization in half and say, okay, this side's responsible, this side is not. 
And I think that's what the yeah. Dolphins are going to end up doing unless they turn the page with Tannehill, too. So it'll be an interesting offseason. There are going to be some quarterbacks available. Paul and I will be sure to get to those here in the upcoming weeks. So we're both at a D for the quarterback spot at running back. And this goes in goes hand in hand with Adam Gase right here. What kills me in this, Paul, is Adam Gase is sitting alone on the bench drawing up these plays. And I don't know what the hell he's doing over there, but whatever. When it, what's working is right in front of him on the first Dolphins drive. The Dolphins, in the first drive, ran six plays. And in five of those six plays, they had two running backs on the field, which is what we've been pounding the table for all season. They are very confused, the Jaguars are. You've got running backs open. You've got receivers open. And what do the Dolphins end up doing? They, they watch, go right down the field, six plays, 78 yards. The rest of the game... And according to Travis Wingfield on Locked On Dolphins, and thank you to him for this tweet, the Dolphins used two running backs in the backfield twice the rest of the game, could not score and would not go back to using two running backs again. Makes no sense to me at all. So in the first drive, the Dolphins have three carries for 16 yards with each of those three running backs getting a carry. They also have three catches for 42 yards, which with each of those three running backs, Drake, Balage and Bolden getting a catch with the longest being Balage's 31 yard catch. The rest of the game, 11 carries for 26 yards by the running backs and four catches for 32 yards. Kenyon Drake, after the Miami miracle has 14 touches on offense in the next two games. I don't understand anything of what they're doing with this position. And I don't see how Frank Gore's dismissal can send you into such a tailspin at the running back spot. So I, I, I mean, I give coaching a big fat F on this, but not a very productive day out of the running backs. Even when you consider all these things going to go with a C for them. I'm going with a C as well. And you, you, you touched on a lot of it, but I think it goes back to what I said before and, and, and continue to say through the weeks. It's, it's don't do your job well, or Gase will get away from you. And that happened yet again with the running backs. It did happen a little bit with Gore, even when he was there. Um, but you know, it, it's, <laughs> if you do well, Gase is not going to use you very much. So yeah, it's a C they did what was asked of them. And that wheel route looked awful beautiful. You've been screaming for early in that game before they got away from that too. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I mean, I mean, you think about it, the dolphins are up seven, nothing after the first five or six minutes and the rest of the game, they have 11 carries to how many passes did Tannehill throw 22. So they're, they're throwing the ball way more. Now, some of that had to do with how bad they were on first down and put them into those situations, but that's about it. Paul, I'm going to throw it back to you on the receivers. Well, let's, let's remember the tight ends are included here, and, and God, I hope Miami can get oh, yeah. a tight end in the offseason. I mean, it's Marquise Gray, you come back, you're our only hope. Uh, but they're not utilizing these guys properly. They're not using them to their skill set. It, it's a theme across the offense. And the receivers themselves weren't doing themselves any favors either in this game. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a D for the receiving group. The tight ends were horrible, and the receivers weren't much better. Yeah, just to be a jerk, I'm going to go with a D minus. I mean, yeah, I mean, bad, bad, bad all around. I mean, Danny Amendola, three catches for 40 yards, but twenty. he had a really good 20-yard catch in the first drive where the only magic happened. And – after that, 
if you take Amendola out of the picture, the receivers and tight ends, I think, had eight catches for – no, excuse me, six catches for 50-something yards. Kenny Stills, one catch for five yards. He and Tannehill have not been able to get on the same page. I think Stills is starting to look a little bit overrated anyway. Uh, Devontae Parker, two for 13. I mean, just a forget about him coming back at $9.5 million. At tight end, I mean, Mike Kosicki, one catch for five yards, just no matchup problem whatsoever. I, I don't get it with him. I don't get how they're using him. And even when they give him an opportunity, he falls flat on his face. As far as blocking, Durham Smythe, Nick O'Leary, very good blockers. But what killed me in this game is that they used – Many times they used one of these tight ends, one-on-one, blocking Calais Campbell. Good luck trying to figure that one out. The ironic thing in this is that Calais Campbell, who derailed the Dolphins' entire organization when he hurt Tannehill in 2016, should have been the one guy they said, okay, we need to game plan around him and prepare for They flat out, they either did not block him at least three times or had him blocking or, or having a tight end block one-on-one. So, Unfair to ask the tight end to do that, but they also did not contribute anything in the receiving game either. It's going to be a D minus. I mean, this this unit has completely fallen apart without Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. That's for sure. So let's go to the offensive line. Uh, Laramie Tunzel. I'm not changing how I feel about this guy. I think overall he's had a fantastic season, but has had a pretty rough two games in a row now. Then, to make matters worse, after the game, nobody in the, for the Dolphins should be talking to the media. Because anytime they open their mouth, they say something stupid, all the way from gays down to the players. Larry Tunzel says, yeah, I think we were a little too relaxed in this game. Like, <laughs> how are you relaxed after a game where you lost by 28 points and you didn't play well? Individually or as a team, I, I don't get it. Juwan James had a nice bounce-back game. Ted Larson continues to be absolutely despicable. Two sacks were on – two of the three sacks were directly on Ted Larson. Uh, Travis Swanson, I think, had a solid game. And Jesse Davis had a false start, but overall I thought played pretty well. But still not a lot of great protection here from the offensive line. I'm going to go with a D-plus for them. Yeah. The only thing I can I can agree with Tunsil on with that being relaxed was it was so bad I couldn't even get visibly upset. It, it was that bad watching. I mean, it's just uh, the middle of the Dolphins' offensive line is a damn sieve. I can't wait to have have Josh back next year. Can't wait to have Jake Brendel back. Hopefully, actually in the lineup. And uh, you know, Jesse Davis. I hope they bring in some competition for him via either the draft or free agency. At this point, it's 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 time to get that line shored up. It should have been this year. Uh, I mean, granted, these guys that are playing now are supposed to be depth in between. Tunzel and James, but get James re-signed and, and fill in the middle a little bit. Uh, D for me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And just to touch on that too, I, I like the job Travis Swanson's doing. I think he was a nice addition. I'd like to have him back next year. And I can't blame the staff a lot for what's gone on here. This is the one position I point to and say, yeah, it was injuries. I mean, Josh Sitton goes down, Kilgore goes down, Jake Brendel goes down. And I think next year, if the Dolphins can position it to where they get sitting back, and I hope they don't cut him just to save $5 million, and they re-sign Swanson, they re-sign Juwan James, I, I think you've got 
four of five pieces in place. I would love to see some competition at right guard to really take the unit to the next level. And then from that point, you could have Jake Brendel and Jesse Davis as your swing man. You may only have to keep seven offensive linemen on the team. I'd like to see Brendel compete, and I think he will at some spot. But other than that, I, if you're going to start anywhere in a team that is not doing very well, I always think it's a good idea to start at the offensive line. On defense, you know, even what we've been saying about Matt Burke all year, this was a fantastic defensive performance. I mean, the Dolphins allowed 10 points on defense. Seven of those 10 points were in the first five minutes of the game. So no complaints here. But it brings me to a, to a larger point is that this wide nine defense that the Dolphins have, the Jaguars offense is the only one, uh, one of very few offensive units, where this wide nine is successful against because you've got bad offensive tackles. So Wake and Quinn can get around the edge and pursue the quarterback from the back end. And then that quarterback, Cody Kessler or Blake Bortles in this situation, they're not intelligent enough to step up and get rid of the ball in a timely manner. The Dolphins had five sacks in this game. Four of them were from Quinn, Wake, Andre Branch, and Charles Harris gets his first sack of the year. Um, defensive tackle, I thought Spence and Gotcha had a very good game. Really no complaints here. They beat up on an offensive line that was missing four of their five starters from the beginning of the year. I've got to give them an A-. minus. I'll join you at the A-, minus, but I will say the line was so bad that one play really stuck out, stuck out for me. Andre Branch went and stood in front of the guard in a position where you should get no leverage whatsoever. And it's like the guard didn't even see him. And he just ran over him, like didn't even put his shoulder down to do it. He just just ran forward at the snap and, and bowled over the offensive guard. Andre Branch yeah. stood still and ran over the offensive guard. I mean, how freaking terrible is that line? I mean, it was mm-hmm. nice seeing Miami get six total sacks, counting Jalen Ramsey's with five of them coming from the D-line. But, you know, and Gottschow, I think, played a good game as well. Yeah, he did. He He had a few times where he really stood him up for a loss. Cameron Wake, too, had one sack, but that doesn't do it justice. He had another sack that where he did sack the quarterback, but they took the holding penalty instead. And he had at least two more where he was very, very close. And when you look at that play where the Dolphins turned the ball over, where Brandon Bolden fumbled, where Calais Campbell stripped it from him, you look at that play, and there was an eight-yard loss by Leonard Fournette that really sent the drive into a tailspin. You'll see Cameron Wake right along the – setting that edge and getting right in Leonard Fournette's face five yards in the backfield that forced him to reverse field and it ended up in an eight-yard loss. Day in and day out, I'm wishing the Dolphins can bring Cameron Wake back, even if he's only playing 30 snaps a game. I don't think he's ever looked better than, than this year, even though the sack numbers may not dictate that. So the linebackers, we'll, we'll whiz through the rest of these here. Not a lot to report. I mean, Kiko Alonso didn't play, but I don't think the Dolphins missed him that much. In fact, I think they were more assignment sound in this game without Kiko being so hit and miss on every play. Man, Baker covers a lot of ground. McMillan, even though he got a bad grade from Pro Football Focus, I thought he was pretty sturdy in the middle too. So I don't have a lot of complaints about this unit. And Mike Hall gets in the field. It's unfailing. Hull gets in, into the lineup every year in like week 15, week 16. And he had a heck of a game, I thought, too. I think he had a fumble recovery. So overall, going to give the unit a B plus. 
Yeah, Hull might not have had as many glamorous plays as Kiko does, but Kiko tends to have one good play followed by two or three bad ones. And when I say bad, I mean really bad. And and his play is just so inconsistent. I think this game could be part of the nail in the coffin for Kiko's Dolphins career. Um, It's despite the numbers he's put up this year, it's time for him to go and, and save Miami a little bit of cap space. Rake and Jerome, there's something to build off of there. And really the linebacking core as a whole looked more stout and solid in this one with Hull in there with those guys. Yeah, and one player to keep an eye on for in the weeks and months leading up to the draft, LSU linebacker Devin Smith is supposed to be a top 10 pick. We'll see where that is in April. But if you can do that, you see the impact that like a Jalen Smith and a uh, no relation Roquan Smith had for the Bears, you put a big rangy guy like that in the middle of your defense could make a huge difference. We'll get to that at a later time. Uh, Defensive back, Paul, I'm going to throw it back to you. Yeah, Jalen Davis looked really good in this game, I think. The secondary as a whole looked really good in this game. I hope we see a little more Jalen Davis as we go on throughout the season, or throughout next week anyway. As far as T.J. McDonald, as I've been saying all year, despite a few big plays, same thing as Kiko Alonso. Bye. That's about all I have to say about him. And and I thought Rashad looked a little bit better in this game, getting back to a little bit more of what Rashad does. I mean, he wasn't all over the place in a prove-yourself type of way, but he was solid in this game doing some of those Rashad-like things again instead of being asked to play deep middle all the time. So the corner position, got to bring, got to get Bobby signed. You know, it's, I love him out there. And really, I'm hoping that we get to see a few of these young kids get some time next week so we can see what we've got for our next coach. Yeah, Xavier Howard needs to be resigned, that's for sure. And, yeah, I mean, Jalen Davis played 13 defensive snaps, and he had a forced fumble when he uh, stripped the Jaguars player. I I can't remember who it was, but it was with three and a half minutes left. And that was that was one that could have put the Dolphins back in back in the game, back in field goal range to make it a one score game. And f- instead, it went right to the Jaguars' tight end Ben Koyak, and the they ran out the rest of the clock. But he had a sack from the nickel spot, which the Dolphins have had a lot of success in, uh, too. But yeah, as far as the defensive back spot, again, I'm going to remind everybody all the time. I'm re- remind everybody this whole off season that. I'm tired of the Dolphins having Bakari Rambo, R.J. Stanford, Cornell Armstrong, these types of players playing 50, 60 snaps late in the season during games. I mean, if you can get a cornerback, move Minka to free safety, Rashad to strong safety, and McCain to the slot, you improve four positions right there, and they're very important positions for the Miami Dolphins. So, yeah, I mean, in this game, Cody Kessler threw for 145 yards. He and Bortles combined for 145 yards. No complaints here. I'm going to give them an A-. And moving on to special teams, Paul. Now, Matt Hawk has been a great pounder for the Dolphins this year, no doubt about it. But he does have more of the ability than some other great punters in the league to either really outkick his coverage in an inopportune time or to shank one. And he had two this game that could have really hurt the Dolphins and really put points on the board for the other team. In fact, I I think he did at one point as well. So, with five second with or excuse me twenty seconds left in in the second quarter, D.D. Westbrook 
gets the punt return, returns it all the way back to the Dolphins' 34, and they attempt a field goal with just a few seconds left on the clock. Why this is so stupid, in the last three and a half games before that, the only Jaguars touchdown offensively was a punt return by D.D. Westbrook against the Redskins with four seconds left in the half. So Hawk has to use his head on that one. Also, too, in the drive, the Jaguars went up 10-7. to uh, Hawk shanked a 29-yard punt. And then two Blake Bortles runs later. They're in field goal range, and then they take the lead and then go on to win the ball game. So shame on him for that. And Jason Sanders broke my heart, too. I mean, he hasn't really been tested a lot. He's had extra points and some short field goals. Has only missed one this year. Was really tested with a big kick, and he missed a 47-yarder. So we'll see where he goes from here. I still think highly of the guy. And that's really all she wrote on the special team. So, you know, Hawk had some good punts other than that, but I've got to give this unit a C-. minus. I'll give him a C-plus for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. One thing I will say is as far as kicking it to uh, Westbrook there in that scenario, that's one of the few times I'm going to go back to Darren Rizzi and say, what were you thinking on? Because to me, the call to either kick it to the guy or out of bounds comes comes from the special teams coach. And as far as that goes, you know, it's if Rizzi didn't tell him to kick it out of bounds but was hoping he would, that's on him. In that scenario, you make damn sure your player does exactly what you want them to do. You pull them aside and say, kick it as far as you can to the sideline and call it a day on that. And obviously, Rizzi didn't do that because I don't think Matt Hawk is going to start freelancing anytime soon. He did have a pretty sweet tackle in this game, though. Yeah, he sure did. That's for sure. Um, so let's go to the player of the game and the uh, guy that you put on the Coke bus for this one. So player of the game for you. I'm going to throw that one to Robert Quinn. I, I really liked what I saw out of this one. He he showed me enough improvement down the stretch this year after getting a little quiet through the middle of the season that I want to see a little more from, from him next season, see him out there a little bit more. And, and really Mike Hull was going to be a second for me, but I'll, I'll throw that one Robert Quinn's way. As far as Coke bus player of the game, Teddy boy, Teddy Larson. I think PFF would support me in this one. Uh, I haven't looked this week, but I usually don't have to. He's, he's usually the lowest rate, rated guard in the league week in and week out. It's, I mean, the number of sacks he allowed and the amount of time he spent just sitting on his ass watching was just astounding to me. And I don't think it's all his fault. He can't pull himself out of the lineup uh, and jeopardize his income for his family. It's I would ride that ride and milk that train as much as I could if I were him too, but Good God, you're going to get somebody killed out there. It's time for you to go, buddy. Get on the Coke bus. Yeah, I, I mean, how bad does uh, Asiata have to be to not even get a shot at this point? I, I don't get it. I mean, I thought Wesley Johnson played significantly better than him when he got a chance, and that's not saying much. So I was thinking about Larson for the Coke bus player. I'm going to give it to Ryan Tannehill again. I mean, just not doing enough and that pick six was absolutely ugly and you're starting to see Tannehill do things at this point where that he hasn't even been doing the last several years when he has played and that's really frightening so he gets that my player of the game goes back to Cameron Wake I mean I think this is my fourth time I've given him this award in the last 10 weeks but he is bending the edge unbelievably and he gets he continues to do it with conditioning and with technique that's why i think that if he can be around for another two or three years and play till he's 
about 40, believe it or not. I think that he can do it the same way that a James Harrison was able to hold on that long. So we'll see how that happens after the year. Wake is an unrestricted free agent. We can get to Robert Quinn another time. I don't know if you can keep both Quinn and Wake on the same defense unless you have a really good coordinator who's able to use them more creatively than have them just firing both off the edge because that leads to some problems that sometimes the opposing defensive coordinator will use that or excuse me offensive coordinator will use that against the Dolphins anyway getting into way too much here we've got a whole offseason to talk about it now that the Dolphins are eliminated from playoff contention because when the season ends that's when Paul and I really crank it into high gear too I mean we're just playing around during the season the off season is what we live for. So <laughs> be sure to tune in and listen to us there in the off season. We're going to be with you here throughout the entire off season. Follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeart Radio, and on Spotify. Also on specifically on Twitter on the Fin Side. Merch store on the finside.threadless.com. Be sure to go over there. We've got some great threads going on there as well. And if it's not in the right side and it's not in the left side, it is on the fin side. So, Ladi, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.